everybody. Welcome to Dazzle Doctor. We're so glad to be back with you. I'm Misty Coper, and I'm here with Dr. Elena. Hi, Dr. Elena. Hello. And we are going to be talking today about fascia. And <laughs> we're so glad to be back recording again. We've had a lot going on. Dr. Elena, you want to tell us a little bit about what's been going on with you? My newest news is is that we have taken in yet another dog. <laughs> um, is that that's three for you guys now. That will be three for us now. Three. Um, okay. Yeah. So we had two rescues already, and uh, this newest addition is also a rescue um, because somebody apparently decided to drop this dog off in our neighborhood, um, mm. and so we decided to go ahead and take him in and see how it goes. So. So far, so good. Everybody's acclimating. Everybody's getting used to each other. So we've done, took him to the vet, make sure he was, you know, up to date on all the shots, check to see if he was microchipped just to see if it was a, you know, so we thought somebody's dog got out um, at first, um, but then somebody in our neighborhood had said that they witnessed a car drop him off. So um, we checked to see the microchipping and all that stuff and that gave him the all clear. There was no microchip. So now we have a new member of our family. Oh, and your dogs are pretty big, so you must be losing space in the bed quickly. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. All, of, all of our dogs, um, now including the newest one, um, it, they're between 45 to 55 pounds. Yeah. Uh, let me think. Hold on. Uh, <laughs> Talon, Copper, and Clover, is that right? Clover is the newest one, yes. Copper okay. is... Um, the oldest child now. Oh no. Okay. Copper's the oldest. And Copper's the, the old. middle child. Talon is the middle child with the middle child personality to match. Yep. And then uh, Clover is now the youngest. The baby. The Aww. baby. And I think, didn't you tell me they were, it took them a minute to settle in with each other, but now they're kind of. Yeah. They, they had some adjusting to do. And um, especially with Talon, he's a little, territorial and he likes his space and he wasn't wasn't a big fan but now they they snuggle next to each other they sleep with each other <laughs> that's so awesome clover Aww. was using talon as a pillow one day so they're... <laughs> and just before we started she was showing me because not only did talon and copper have to adjust to clover but they've also still they're still kind of adjusting to florida the new mm -hmm. like new digs and new surroundings everything so they had a lot to adjust to so nice that they've, yes. they've actually they've kind of kind of warmed to uh to clover kind of quickly yeah i mean luckily i mean the vet said he's either guesstimated range of age could be two three or four years old he said he was edging more on the two-year-old side um so you know it's not like a puppy puppy but you know they're all they're all adjusting and I, again fairly quickly We've had him for about a month. Um, so it's, it's, oh, been wow. Only a yeah. Month, huh? Okay. Yeah. So yeah, he that's found his way to us a little, like right before St. Patrick's Day. And, uh, oh, yeah. That's right. That's why the boys named him Clover, right? Right. And because Clovers are, four leaf Clovers are lucky. And he was very, we were very lucky. And he was very lucky that we were able to find him. Oh, that is nice. So that's where and it came from. Nice. I had zero I, input on it. <laughs> it's a great name. I love it. It is a great name. Yeah. And they look a lot alike too. I mean, 
yes, funny to me how much the dogs all look alike. The copper and clover are almost identical in color and markings, um, which is very interesting. And you just, they have a very big brother, little brother vibe. So, because <laughs> clover definitely plucks on copper pesters. a lot. <laughs> yeah, pesters and, and copper. Didn't you tell me copper is like, get away, go away, yes. leave me alone? Mm-hmm. <laughs> He's and, the old man. Yes. And Clover's <laughs> like, no, <laughs> I never will. I never shall. Yeah, that's great. That kind of, it's nice to add a new, like a third dynamic. I've got, so for our listeners at home, I've got two cats and they are full of personality. And just yes, before we were getting ready to, yes, they are. Just before we were getting ready to uh, hit the record button, one of them was insisting on that that was the time he needed my attention because that's what he always does. He's like, oh, you're about to do something. That's when I need all of your attention. And even though I'm sitting up straight with no lap to speak of, really, um, because I'm pushed up against the desk, he still managed to find his way onto my shoulder neck, whatever you want to call this, and get right into my microphone. And so we had to... um, we had to get someone to wrangle him out of my face so that we could record. They're, they're full of personality. And we're always talking, should we get a third one? Should we not get a third one? Because the oldest cat that we have is, I, we just, we're not sure she would go for it. Right. And she, you know, she's old enough now. She's very spry, but she's 12. And so we just, we feel like we don't want to do that to her when she's, you know, 12 and, but there's part of me that's like, but wouldn't that keep the, I mean, we call Wentworth the younger one. He's 11. <laughs> he's not that much younger and he's definitely not a kitten either. But we feel like, may, I feel like maybe that would give him a little place to, you know, put his youthful exuberance. But um, I, I think it would. But um, my, my, my decision partner just plain doesn't agree. And I think he just thinks I want a kitten which is not wrong. I do. Right. But that's where we're at with pets in this house. I'm sure you all will be hearing a lot more about the personalities of our pets in the coming days. So let's see. What have I been up to? Well, I'm sure we're going to talk some more about stuff like this in our upcoming episodes. We've, we've talked to you guys about why we've taken a bit of a hiatus. I definitely have not been feeling really great lately. And as spring comes into being in the in the United States at least it's you know time to get more active time to get outside it's getting warmer um, and I don't do well with extreme temperatures hot or cold so I try to get in my uh, activity outside while the temperature isn't too extreme in one direction or the other so uh, this weekend Unfortunately, we've had several funerals that we've had to attend in the last weekends. So we've had both obligation time and I've also wanted to get in some free time, some enjoyment of outdoors. And it requires, you know, some moving around, some exercise, which is both good and then for me also exhausting. So to try to make my energy last longer. For those of you who have ever heard the spoon theory to try to make my spoons last longer, right? And um, we'll, we'll put a link to the spoon theory in our notes. If you've never heard of the spoon theory, you should definitely check it out. But in summary, it just basically is a, another way to measure your um, energy needs versus your energy output. So 
um, we say, instead of saying like, I had this many units of energy, we say I had, you know, so many spoons. And when you're sort of out of energy, you're out of spoons, so to speak. And there's a whole explanation about that at the link that we'll include. It's not my theory. It's becoming very well known in the chronic illness community as a way of measuring energy kind of across various chronic illnesses. So my spoons have been giving out on me a little bit earlier than I would like on these past couple of weekends because we've had these obligatory things that we've needed to um, attend. And I don't know whether to say, well, the people that we've lost recently have been these huge personalities in our lives, these wonderful people who've known lots of people across various aspects of their lives. They've been very interesting people with lots with their fingers in lots of pies. So the funerals have been very well attended. There have been press at some of the funer at, at one of the funerals there was press. Um, they haven't just been, you know, quiet, intimate funerals. But they uh these folks that we've been, you know, remembering have have been well, well loved. And so there's been overflow. There's literally just been hundreds of people at these funerals. So not only has it been a grieving situation, but it's also been a you know, there's just been lots of people to meet and it's just um it's been taxing in terms of energy. So the things that I've kind of gone to do uh in terms of physical energy afterward, after spending emotional energy, then I've gone out and spent my physical energy on some things that I wanted to do to kind of bring my mood back up. So this last weekend, after Saturday's services, we went to, uh, I took my best friend and her sister and I went to a petting farm where they are having all their new spring babies. So I say that like it's a sale, don't I? New spring babies. Uh, come see them. So there were two-day-old baby goat. There was a two-day-old mini pony. So if you can imagine a mini mini pony it was adorable and its mother who was also a mini pony was like there was a sign over her that said don't pet my baby i will bite you it oh. was so yeah she was very jealous of her new baby pony and uh oh we saw let's see piglets and baby bunnies and tortoises and ducklings and peacocks and a bison and highland cows emus oh there was just i mean I don't even know if I can name an animal that wasn't there. It was fantastic. We had a great time, got to pet a lot of them, but I don't think I would have been able to measure out my energy or my spoons if I had not had a new mobility aid that I've been, I've had sort of a love-hate relationship with, if you will. I don't know how many of you out there are familiar with something called a rollator, but just briefly for those who've never seen one, it's kind of like a stand-up walker with a seat. And I got one. I, I've kind of been eyeing them because every time I need to sit down, there's not a seat around, you know, I mean, and of course that's hyperbole, but a lot of times when I'm looking for a seat and I, I must have a seat quickly to regenerate some energy or whatever, there just isn't one. And so I, I thought, well, maybe this would be a good way. And then I wouldn't have to carry it around because I'd already be rolling around with it. And I wouldn't have something else to carry on my person because I'm constantly carrying an entire medical like unit with me everywhere, a mash unit with me everywhere I go. So, and I also thought that maybe this rollator might come with some storage of its own and it did. So when I started looking for one, there were, you know, several hundred dollars, you know, upwards of six, $700. 
I finally found one that was reasonably priced, which for me was in the you know $150 range. And I, I leapt on it and I thought, well, we'll just kind of see if it, if it helps at all. And I have to say, I was able to do everything I wanted to do and everything I had to do this weekend. I did come home thoroughly exhausted on Sunday, but I still was able to put that energy, you know, where I wanted to be able to put it instead of only in the places where it was, you know, more of places that I really needed to be than just, you know, kind of out enjoying life and nature and the things that kind of fill me back up to be able to attend those more emotional things, those things that, you know, I need to be able to support other people and I need to be able to you know, just be there as part of the community that I'm part of and still have that energy to go out and do those things that fill me back up. So I really was glad to have the the rollator. I was glad to have a place to sit. I was glad to have a place to restore myself. It was very nice. And the rolling, I got a rollator with these like outdoor wheels. It was great. So it was nice to be able to walk around outside like that. I actually out walked some of my contemporaries that were out there. So it was a really nice thing. And it made me feel, I thought it was going to make me feel old and weird. Uh, And maybe sometimes it did or does, but um, overall, I got a lot more exercise than I would have otherwise, which made me feel young and spry. So um, I'm glad I did it. And I am super proud of you because I know we've been having that conversation for a while. We (laughs) have. I have not wanted to use mobility aids because I don't want to look old and weird. But and there's nothing wrong with being older. It's just I look older than I am, I feel, or I have felt in the past. And so part of what I've done to mitigate that is just really put my personality into different things. So for example, my cane, it looks like mermaid scales and my... um, I have a couple of them. I have one that's purple and fancy. I have one that's mermaid scale and fancy. And I this the other thing that I, I thought was really great about this rollator is a lot of, if you want to call them walkers or walker assist, you know, mobility assist kind of things or rolling assisting kind of things, they you have to sort of bend forward to use them. And it can really, um, well, it can give you that elderly look, if you want to say, or that more like bent over look. And, and I don't think it's, I mean, you're the doctor, but I'm assuming it's not grand for your posture. Well, they're not supposed to be like that anyway. So typically when I see somebody like that, I, I tend to feel that either it's not fit to them properly, or they were never taught how to use it well enough to not have to compensate like that. So stop yourself all the time. I do. I have to bite my tongue a lot. (laughs) I'm saying, I don't think that's adjusted well. Can I just, I, can yeah. I just please, uh, hi, no, really, I am a doctor. I would just like to adjust this for you if I might. Yeah. Yeah. I, I have to have be to very stop. careful about unsolicited advice. So yeah, I'm sure you do. <laughs> I'm sure you do. I'm sure you see people out all the time and you're just like, oh, if I could just push a little here and, and just adjust a little there. Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. I know. The best story that I ever had was I had a friend of mine that I worked with for for many, many years. And when she was first graduated from school, first start in any kind of healthcare field, when we first get out, we are like full of life. We are going to like change the world. We got this. We're going to do it all. Right. 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 And we know what's going on. Watch me work. (laughs) She was still working, transitioning out of her 
job at a restaurant and she happened to see a lady who was using a walker improperly and it was ill-fitted for her and she tried to offer her advice on correcting this woman's walker and the woman was in a nice way. Less than grateful? Yes. She was like, no, physical therapy, you know, hurt me. Like, I don't like therapists. Like, all yeah. this stuff and she's like no but I'm just trying to help and I, like, I know and she, yeah so you know even though it's recognized not everybody wants to hear it from us and uh mm-hmm. so yeah so I have to be very very cautious about who I try to offer advice to so even people that ask for my advice don't always necessarily want to hear my advice <laughs> Yeah, that's so interesting. And I know we have, you know, in the specifically in the Ehlers Danlos community, which is my community, I know we have a lot of people who have worked with, for example, physical therapists or chiropractors is one I hear a lot, just various doctors, but especially the ones that might adjust and, and they have been hurt. And I know you've heard a lot of this. I've heard a lot of it in a lot of support groups that I'm in. I hear a lot of people talking about it or rather see a lot of people talking about it because generally I'm reading it. But I've definitely seen that comment many times. People who are afraid to go back or don't want, not some afraid, some just done. They're done with it. So I can definitely see. Yeah. And and I definitely, I try to appreciate that because I know that whoever potentially gave them that advice or treated them may not have done what was best for that person. Yep. And so I, I also have to check myself because I get, you know, I'm like, but it's me. Like, <laughs> but, but I'm giving but you I'm advice. It's fine. I'm but, much better than them. No. Right. <laughs> you don't but know. But I do me. understand. So like, good. Right. That there is definitely medical trauma in the, in the respect of they've gotten bad treatment. They've gotten bad advice. They've gotten, you know, and people have to be advocate for themselves because they, they know what they can and can't handle. Um, And when they've been dealt not ideal advice or they've been treated in a way that made them feel worse, why would you trust somebody else? So, you know, that's one of the biggest things in, in practice that you have to make sure that one, they're looking for your advice. And two, (laughs) that, you know, you build that rapport and that trust to let them know that you're in it with them to the degree that you need to be to help them figure it out through themselves. You know, I mean, I even tried on a couple of the, you know, support group pages to reach out to certain people that were venting. And it was more that they were venting that they weren't necessarily looking for like medical advice or medical treatment. And so knowing where those, those boundaries lie. (laughs) Yeah. That must be hard for you to have the knowledge to help and know that you can help, but then still have to be able to say, you know what, I just, I got to rein it in here because Mm -hmm. colleagues of mine perhaps have maybe made it difficult for people to be able to get, you know, the help that they need. So I can understand that. Well, that sounds like a whole other episode. I think we can make several episodes and probably have in the past, but uh, today we are going to talk about fascia and I think Dr. Elena is going to walk us through a lot of what fascia is, what it does, why we rely on it, and for specifically for people in my boat, in the Ehlers-Danlos boat, what do we, what can we do about the card that we've been dealt? So Dr. Elena, take it away. No, I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) (laughs) There's a lot to unpack there. That's right. (laughs) No, but tell us, what is fascia? Because I know when I started coming to see you, I had these 
pains and they didn't seem to be musculoskeletal necessarily. I just had these spots on my body. And I remember saying to you, now, this is a weird one, Dr. Elena, but I've got this spot on top of my head and I, I'm assuming there's nothing you can do for me, but it really hurts. And I, that's all I got. And I just kind of handed it over to you and you were like, you, you did some things on top of my head and I was amazed and the pain actually went away. And I think that was kind of the first time we ever really talked about fascia. Yes. So give, give us all an explanation of what fascia is and what it does. Okay. So fascia is a connective tissue. It is throughout the entire body. And what it does is it, it gets wrapped around every muscle fiber, every muscle spindle, every muscle bundle, every muscle group. And then it gets wrapped in between muscles and around muscles. And then it also gets wrapped around all of your organs and between your skin and other ones. And so there's superficial and deep fascia. And then, so basically I equate it to, it's the saran wrap of the body. Yeah. But the consistency of it is more like lots of little spider webs. Okay. In terms of the structure. (laughs) Okay. Kind of sticky, kind of a networking webby kind of. Okay. Got it. Got it. Okay. And it's everywhere. So like the one that you just mentioned on top of your head, there's really not a whole heck of a lot there structure wise. You know, it's got, you got your skull and then you got your skin, but then there's a layer in between where that fascia can get restricted. So you still have blood flow to the area. You still have follicles. You still have all of these things on the top of your head. It's not as complex as like somewhere in your arm or your leg where you have all these other extra, um, and bigger structures to, abdomen, to contend I with. Can imagine. <laughs> abdomen, I can imagine, is a big right. one. And I, I personally struggle with that one a lot. And I mean, there, there's actually a whole practice technique specifically for fascia movement of the abdomen. They're called visceral, visceral techniques. It's not one of my specialty. I know basics, but there is a big following for that specific kind of practice. But the one on your head, basically, at some point along the line, something got hit, something got sheared, something happened. And basically, some of that saran wrap got stuck on itself and created a bubble. So if you imagine trying to wrap something in saran wrap, and it's got awful trying to make sure that it's flat and things like that. And as soon as it sticks to itself, it's a nightmare to try to peel it apart and make it flat again. But if you wrap it weird or if it sticks to itself funky, then you have these little air pockets and then that can get stuck. So what I did for the one on top of your head was release those restrictions around that bubble to allow things to relax back down and move more normally. And that kind of happened, like I said, anywhere in the body. Some of them are thicker than others. Some of them have more complex um, things to consider, but it's everywhere and it can create all kinds of interesting phenomena with domino effects of posture and things like that, that can cause one, its own pain from the restriction, but two, compensatory pain from how you're moving because of that restriction. Sure. Okay. So for, ex- so can you give us kind of examples maybe that you've run across in some patients where we might see a compensatory so I'm I'm thinking, for example, 
I'm thinking of myself, of course, because that's kind of the reference point that I have. But um, and you're welcome to use any of my situations as a reference point if you want to. But I'm, I'm kind of thinking I frequently have these these if we want to call them. Well, you know what? I'm going to back up for a minute. Is myofascia and fascia are they? Is myofascia a, a subset of fascia, or what is? It's that? just it's the it's the fascia around the muscles. So okay. that the myo is the muscle. Muscle and fascia. Um, fascia is okay. The the fascia. Fascia. But <laughs> right. Um. But you can have you have it's all fascia, but the myofascia is around specifically more the muscles. Okay, and so I can imagine that's where you start to see some more of the collapse of the skeleton because you don't have the appropriate muscle Potentially. So you can have a superficial restriction that causes more pain or or a pattern. So one that uh, is a more easily described restriction can be between the shoulder blade and the rib cage. Okay. So the shoulder blade needs to be able to glide over the rib cage to be able to depress to make sure that you have normal shoulder mechanics and be able to get the ranges over your head. Well, sometimes what happens is if the fascia in between where the shoulder blade and the rib cage are gets restricted and it doesn't glide as well, now your shoulder blade doesn't depress out of the way and you lose some of that top range. Or it feels okay. like it's pinching in the shoulder, or it throws off the the rhythm between the shoulder bone and the shoulder blade, causing other compensatory movements. So that's where a lot of people get a lot of like upper trap restrictions and tightness because they're like, oh, I just hold my tension there, or it's always knotted there. Well, typically the upper trap isn't necessarily the problem; it's the one that's being the workhorse that's doing too much. So then it gets mad at you and tightens up and creates those knots. Um, it becomes irritated because of the extra work that it's doing due to the myofascial restriction between the blade, the shoulder blade and the shoulder muscle. Am I understanding that right? Yes. And so, and then that's, that's an example that happens in everyone. (laughs) It doesn't have to necessarily be somebody who's hypermobile or has EDS. Now, when you consider the stuff, the part with the hypermobility or the EDS, fascia is connective tissue. It's made primarily of collagen. And one of the defining characteristics of EDS is that the collagen either doesn't get laid down, doesn't structure right, is kind of dysfunctional compared to normal collagen. So then you're dealing with a collagen restriction that doesn't work the same way. So the techniques in terms of releasing them are the same, but it can happen on a more widespread area than people without the collagen mutation. And perhaps muscles that were already compensatory now have to rely on something even lower or or higher or just as you're saying it gets spread out perhaps because the muscles that are compensating already are now not able to handle the load as they might be in a person without EDS and now they're having to rely on a broader group of muscles to compensate for the area that's restricted does that Am I mm-hmm. following? Okay. Yeah. And, you know, and a lot of times some of that restrictions, those restrictions are what feels like pain because it feels tight. Because, again, looking at the EDS and, and hypermobile side of things is that they don't have the typical feedback from the tendons and ligaments because their tensile strength goes farther than necessary. So you get some of that feedback from the fascia if it's holding a restriction. But, 
you, it feels tight to you, but it's not necessarily true functional limitation. I understand. Um, So, you know, you have to balance out how much you release versus how much you leave alone, because sometimes it is a help, a supporting piece in the puzzle. But when you have when you have those those fascial restrictions and things like that, they can create their own pain because you feel that tension. You feel it kind of peeling apart or ripping or, you know, that pulling sensation that, that people just aren't used to when it's not how they're, you know, their normal movement. Yeah, I would say for me, when you tell me I have a fascia restriction, I to me it feels like a bruise underneath my and I'm sure that's because similar to a bruise, it is irritated, perhaps even inflamed. I don't know. Or maybe the tissue around it is inflamed. It can. Yeah. So okay. essentially, sometimes what can happen is, is that if there's a restriction, you can have inflammation within. Like if you think of that bubble, yep. you can have inflammation within the bubble. So then it because the edges are restricted. Now it's like a water balloon that's getting filled too much. It doesn't necessarily first but because it hits that that tensile strength at the end it feels uncomfortable but then you can have inflammation around the the bubble that compresses in on it and that also creates discomfort sure okay so for our audience at home there are a lot of hand gestures going on here so I'm thinking of it what I'm what I'm watching Dr. Elena do and it's it's fine. She's she's a little I talk with my hands a lot. It's fine. It's fine. But I'm just so that we kind of have a kind of a visual for our folks at home. It's looking to me sort of like a cyst might be under the skin, right? As it as the bubble sits under the skin, the skin finds that irritating or the muscle or wherever it's sitting mm-hmm. would find that that sort sort of foreign body, although in this case we're talking about air really, but it's still foreign to being in that area, irritating and might become uh, inflamed because it's not a thing that's supposed to be there. It doesn't want it there. So it's kind of irritated to have it there. Is that, am I understanding that? Um, I, I wouldn't say it your... so much as a foreign body as it's not allowing for normal fluid flow to happen. So a lot okay. of times with, with those restrictions, like you can get pocketed swelling or you can okay. get swelling around that area and it's not allowing for normal fluid exchange to happen. So then it gets kind of backed up. And I always kind of, can, I, equate it to like a kink in a hose, okay. you know, and I'm, I know I throw out a lot of metaphors and a lot of weird okay. references. I, I work in metaphor <laughs> all the time, yeah. but it's like a kink in the hose. So then essentially, you know, that kink needs to be straightened out or released to allow for the fluid to, to flow more naturally. So in a myofascial restriction, now you're not getting the normal lubrication similar to oil in a car. If you don't have the oil in the car going, muscles don't move, joints don't move. Things Mm -hmm. don't glide. So then it's even more effort creates more inflammation because now you're not getting the oil moving. And, you know, I've seen a lot of, I mean, again, for me, people with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome talking about, I I know they, they call people who have this like stiffness or this pain. um, I've heard them actually call it stiff and call them stiff zebras. Uh, I think normally because people with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome are used to being so hypermobile and especially for me when I was younger, it, you know, there weren't a whole lot of pain stoppages in terms of range of motion. Now I had a lot of pain, but it wasn't that same kind of, it's not the same kind of pain that I have now necessarily. So it, 
for me, at least, it was kind of confusing to start having these pains that did stop my range of motion. And it was confusing for my doctors, too, because for them, Ehlers-Danlos Syndrome means this wild range of motion. But here I am saying I can't go past this point today or for the last week. And, you know, it's so it gets really confusing and it, not just for the patient, but also for say doctors who may have a more limited understanding or who haven't done as much work in fascia as they have in say the musculoskeletal system. Does yeah. And, I, and I've seen that a lot um, where, you know, patients who have, who are hypermobile, they feel stiff, something feels off, right. um, but you have them move and in normal terms, quote unquote, that to a physician who understands what normal ranges look like, they move naturally, like it's still within normal, but it's right. not their normal. Right. So what happens exactly. is that because it's normal, according to the books, it gets pushed to the side because the doctor's right. like, I don't see anything wrong. It, exactly. You're moving fine. So then they don't address what the subjective issue is. And I've seen that a lot. I've heard it a lot where a lot of people just don't feel like they're getting treated. They feel like they're, you know, and this goes down the whole rabbit hole of, am I crazy? Is it in my head? Like, what am I, if my feeling, what I'm, you know, is what I'm feeling even real? Is it valid? Is, is it, it valid? It, yes. yes. Right. So, um, so that happens a lot, but this, the, the fascia part seems to play a significant role because a lot of people will chase down the joint pain. They'll chase down the ligaments and tendons and things like that. So that's where like x-rays, MRIs, um, CT scans come into play. And if you're just talking about like the knee pain, if the joint space looks good, there's not significant arthritis, all the meniscus and ligaments look fine. They're like, well, I have no idea why you feel knee pain. Right. You I know? don't see anything wrong with you. There's <laughs> the, nothing the wrong with you. The knee is structurally sound. Right. It's so, not something you can necessarily visually see. And I think right. that's what we, again, you know, we talk a lot about invisible illness or non-visible illness. And, uh, you know, we talk about it in terms of, I look out at somebody on the street. Can I see that they are ill? No. Also comes into the practice of medicine when you say, you know, your doctor cannot see. Right now I'm, I'm struggling because my hands are going numb constantly and I've had a nerve, I don't know, test and I've had other tests and they don't see anything wrong, but I am telling everyone there is something wrong. And so we are, you know, ending up in this constant like cycle where I say there's something wrong and they tell me there isn't. And I, again, think it's because they can't see it in a test it, because for your normal person, we have, you know, everything looks fine and within the normal range, but I am, if you want to say, well, I'm definitely abnormal in so many ways, but but in this way as well. So I right. think our a lot of our our audience will kind of relate to that. And the other thing to consider too is that imaging is just a piece of the pie. Like a lot of people rely too heavily on imaging in my opinion. Okay. Um, but it's a static picture. So, mm. you know, if you're only looking at a static picture, there's no context to it. There's no right. a lot of these fascia restrictions or movement dysfunctions don't show up on imaging because it's not within movement. So you don't see how it gets stressed or strained through a range. You're you looking see, at a picture. You're a looking moment at in time. one snapshot in one, one moment. 
So right. it's, you know, put that in context of anytime we take a picture or a selfie and then, you know, right. versus a video, like you just don't have. <laughs> Your muscles are catfishing. It makes right. me think of like, <laughs> like you're taking the picture from the angle that makes them look best right. and uh, shows them to their best advantage. Uh-huh. Throw a filter on it. That's good. right. One particular <laughs> moment in time, my muscles looked beautiful and lovely at this time. But in reality, it's like looking down. Uh, it, you know what it reminds me of? It makes me think of looking down at your phone versus mm-hmm. looking up at your phone. Mm-hmm. Um, like that. I don't know if anyone outside of, I don't know how many of you all watch the Golden Girls, but I remember an episode where Dorothy looks up at her phone and she's like, oh, I don't look that bad. And then Blanche is like, but look down at it. And she and like all the flesh falls to the front or whatever. And she's horrified. That's what I need them to do with my muscles. I need them to take that picture. Right. That's the one I need. Yes. Um, and like you're saying also within the world of motion, sure. My muscle looks fine as long as I'm lying down on a table mm-hmm. and the table is supporting me. But when the muscle is trying to support my skeleton, and I'm not lying down with that table support there. It's a whole other story. And then you can see the dysfunction. Right. Okay. You know what, Dr. Elena, I think we're going to stop there for the day because we have a lot that we can say about fascia, especially as it relates to people with Ehlers-Danlos syndrome. It's, I mean, it's the key, right? It's the connective right. tissue. So I think we're going to have a lot more to talk about in terms of fascia in our coming episodes, but this gives us a nice foundation to, to start from. Yes. And I know we need to let you go because we can't have your expertise with us all the time, although we would love to. So I think maybe in our next upcoming um, episodes, we're going to talk more about this and you know, how can we help ourselves? Mm-hmm. How can we talk to our doctors about fascia? And I'm sure we've opened up a door for our listeners to ask questions Absolutely. about fascia. We've, we've been receiving Dr. Elena, we've been receiving quite a lot of fan mail. Yay! I know quite a lot of questions. I know you've personally answered a few of those. We've had some technical questions come in. And Dr. Elena has been on top of those. So we've had a few suggestions for episodes and also just some fan mail. So uh, we know we're reaching some people out there and we're really excited to welcome them into our Dazzle. We are excited to welcome you, our listeners, into our Dazzle. And we're so excited to have you here because we're just, we've been taking kind of a break for all the reasons we mentioned in our last episode. We want to remind you that a Dazzle is a group of zebras and we folks with rare conditions are often called zebras and that we, we use that as a mascot because doctors say when you hear hooves don't think of horses think of, or don't think of zebras think of horses but and that that's their way of saying think of the most common situation so don't be thinking of something uncommon like a zebra be thinking of something more common like a horse but when you have a rare condition you are the zebra so thus our mascot is the zebra thus our group is called the dazzle so i hope that that puts that into perspective for anyone who hasn't listened to us for a beat or who has forgotten in that time so we are so glad to be having so many people uh listening and and joining us and writing in and letting us know that we are that we're reaching people we're really excited about that so let's see anything else you want to no i think that i i think a good next episode we'll be talking about the different treatment options for fascia so that i we think do so self-treatment too. and asking you know different medical professionals if they can help yeah and maybe helping people you know come to that 
correct physical therapist and in, sort of do that interview process because I know I've certainly had physical therapists who, you know, through whatever reason, either in experience or the way that they're working within their own system or the way that they're required to work within their own system for whatever reasons. Uh, and we know, you and I know, I can hear Dr. Elena chortling right now, not chortling, that sounds like an awful word, chuckling right now, because we've both watched you know, this process for patients other than myself and for doctors other than Dr. Elena. So we've seen it from a couple of different standpoints and it, it can be difficult to navigate. So we're going to talk about some ways that we've watched it be successfully navigated and unsuccessfully navigated and what can you do for yourself with the fascia you've been dealt and how can you perhaps get a better regimen of care for yourself. Uh, through the channels that you have. So we look forward to doing that. And until then, just go out into the world and be dazzling. Mm -hmm.